All right, are we all ready? Now I gotta remember what I say. <laughs> HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 201, The Best of HR Wonder Women, Volume 2. I'm your host, Wendy, and yep, I'm here all by myself today because I am pleased to share these awesome, wonderful HR women with you. Today's Volume 2 shares highlights from our episodes with Julie Sowash, Kirsten Greggs, Tiffany Toussaint, Natalie Egan, and Minda Hartz. Now I'm here with some bittersweet news for y'all. Anne and I have decided to close this chapter of HR Social Hour and we will no longer be recording any uh, HR Wonder Women episodes. Um, As many of you know, we did take a break uh, when Anne um, was undergoing some cancer treatment. Now she is on the other side of that, which is fantastic news. However, as many people do when they go through something such as cancer treatment, Anne did decide to slow down on some of her commitments. And as such, we decided that it was time to close this chapter. We've had the chance to meet some awesome, awesome women. Um, So I want to thank our past guests, uh, Margaret Spence, who actually joined us twice, Tamika Mason, Kirsten Greggs, Tiffany Toussaint, Stephanie Ghostin-Paul, Julie Sowash, Jennifer Brown, Kelly Wagner, Janine Dennis, Jen Daniel, Wendy Berry, Tamara Raspberry, Iko Bathia, Elena Valentine, and Sarah Morgan. I truly enjoyed learning from all of you. Um, I continue to learn from all of you on social media. So uh, I do hope, listeners, that you will go to our archives and find these full episodes, listen to them, and then follow these wonderful, wonderful women on social media. Huge thank you to Anne who has uh, been a wonderful partner throughout this journey. Our friendship has grown. I love getting a chance. Anytime I get a chance to talk to Anne, my day is brighter. Um, But I also know that I can count on her to be among those that will call me in to help me be a better person. Uh, And that was the goal of HR Wonder Woman, really, to share these voices with all of you, to lift them up, to um, share that there's more to uh, HR than a bunch of middle-aged white ladies. So these women are uh, fantastic uh, representatives of some of those marginalized voices. Uh, I have to admit that I have recorded this open uh, many, many times. I have tried, I have uh, stumbled, uh, and I'm trying to get it right. Um, and that's that's really what the goal of HR Wonder Women was, was uh, trying to get it right while doing some out loud learning. So I, I thank you all for listening and your encouragement as um, Anne and I have gone through this. And know that our work is not done. Ally is a verb, not a noun. 
Um, and while I hope that people will use that word to describe me, I know that my work is not done. Um, so I, so I will continue to learn out loud and share with you as I stumble in hopes that some of you will also learn, um, from me. So again, uh, I hope you'll enjoy this episode of HR Wonder Women, um, our volume two greatest hits. <laughs> so definitely, uh, Enjoy listening to Julie, Kirsten, Tiffany, Natalie, and Minda. Follow them all on social media and continue to learn. So thank you to all of our listeners. Now, go and tell your story. For people with cognitive difficulties, like you said, or for people with mental health issues or, or whatever it is, you know, you think about who would need the most I don't know. I don't know if like help is the right word, but who who needs the most like thoughtful approach to this? But it's not like somebody else is going to lose out because you have a thoughtful approach to what you're doing. Everyone benefits when your approach is really thoughtful um, and making sure that it's meeting the needs of everyone. Yeah, and I, I think if you think about it in a in a little bit different, if I can shift the the paradigm just a little bit, but not think about what people need in terms of support. It's in how do I get the most? How do I help build my teams up to, to be able to live right to their most successful potential? And when you think about it as opportunities to build more successful teams, it feels a little, I, I think for me, a little more authentic and a little bit more exciting. We're not talking about the negative. We're talking about the positive. And so what are those things on the edges? Right, that cause the innovation that mm -hmm. that allow us to bring the entire team up, and that team will include people with disabilities, but it's also going to perform uh, include extremely high performers who may have disabilities of their own, and you just don't know about it, but also are going to feel much more a part of a team and understand process and engagement in an entirely different way. I love it about that the the diverse the why it's so important to have that visible diversity because people because it, it takes time to build relationships and it takes time um to get to a for, for lack of a better word comfort level like when i walk into a room and i see someone like me i see someone that someone that has one of those things that i can latch onto visibly like if i walked into a room with 11 white men and you or Anne was in there I would probably initially gravitate to one of you. If I walked into a room where it was all, um, you know, where it was 10 older people and one person who looked like they were around my age, I would probably gravitate to them. If I walked into a room full of black people, I'm probably going to feel safe. And I'm just, I'm being honest. I was asked that question before um, when I was still in corporate America by the vice president of HR. We were designing a group for, we were designing a talent uh, development group that was going to cater to increasing, you know, our diversity pipeline and getting more people who were already employees of the company, you know, into more leadership positions. And initially it was set up where they wanted it to be it, it, it started a year before with some black people being brought into a cohort um, and I was one of them and no one was allowed to know about it. And this was supposed to be the 
second stage of that. And we were going to extend it, you know, to people that, you know, didn't have to have that, you know, keep it to yourself. Don't talk about this because it, it was mostly like HR people and or again, senior leaders. So when it got out to the rest of the people, they decided to open it up to everyone. And, you know, as I'm sure you, you just rolled your eyes. <laughs> you guys didn't see, but Anne just rolled her eyes. <laughs> Well, like you can tell, you know what's coming. You know what's okay, coming. You know what's coming. So it, it became it became heavily white women. You know, some younger white women. You know, and some younger white men that they were tr- that they you know escalated put into this to this program. But I was asked, you know, well, if we kept it all black, you know, like Kirsten, because this person probably didn't remember that he that he had met me before. We worked in different offices, and um, maybe I didn't sound black enough for him. But we were on the phone, so he's like, well, Kirsten, how would you feel if you walked into a room with, you know, all Black people? And I said, you know, I would feel safe. And he was stunned because, again, the other people on the phone, he knew they were Black leaders because they were on his team. They, you know, they were his either his peers or they reported to him. He did not realize that I was not his quote unquote, you know, I wasn't going to support or be his, be his ally. I was going to be someone else's. So I, I find that that is, uh, that, that's been my experience. That's been my experience several times. So I do think the visual thing, it 100%, it, it matters to me. Um, and I think it matters to others who, who are, um, you know, not, I don't want to use that term. That probably sounds, that's going to sound bad. Who aren't like, who don't look what, is different about them, if that makes sense. I think so, yeah. I mean, we've talked, so for example, you've talked about um, managing depression, right? So that's like Mm -hmm. a hidden, that's a hidden disability. So it doesn't, it doesn't, you never lead with that unless you choose to lead with that. Yeah, and I don't even, and maybe that's part of it. Like we haven't been socialized to think of depression or anxiety as a disability, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or an illness, or, or even a health concern when it comes to, you know, when, when I think, because when we think about disability, we think about someone who, you know, has a physical impairment. And, and let's be clear, like depression does cause physical mm-hmm. things to come up. But it, again, like I'm, I'm not going to you know, go into a different um, bathroom because of it. You know, like I, there are there are certain things that are like I'm not going to to take advantage of, and it's and because of the stigma associated with it. Um, while I don't have a problem discussing it, I I don't shy away from it. I talk about it um, as much as I can because I think it helps other people, um, and and it allows other people to open up to me. And again, to take that. Oh my God. Like, you know, like, thank you for saying that because I needed to hear that because this is what I'm going through. And especially as a recruiter, I have to be careful because people do dump so much on you and people put so, so much of their, what's going on in their lives personally on you that, um, I, I have to be able to, you know, take my own time and, and come back to myself, um, enough. And I am, I'm comfortable enough to say, listen, I'm below the line today. And I, these are the things that I can't handle. These are my boundaries for today. Like I will have to deal with this another time. I'm not, I'm not cool with that. So, yeah, so you've, you've talked a little bit about the things and I think this is so important, right? Making sure that um, we're, we're weaving this DEI into all aspects of the business and it doesn't stay this sort of side 
program. Um, but you're in, in talent acquisition. So talk to us from a talent acquisition perspective. How can we get more Black women and non-Black women of color into that talent pipeline to get them into that leadership position? I think it goes back to organizational culture. You know, if, if I, you know, as, as I look for a job or as candidates are looking for their next opportunity, organizations need to be upfront about who they are. If diversity, equity, and inclusion is truly important to them, it's going to be part of that conversation when they are out trying to tap people on the shoulder to join their business. If it isn't currently part of who they are and they want it to be, the, the recognition that there, there's a gap there, but they know what they're going to do to close that gap says a lot. So if you're out there and you're trying to bring people into your organization and you want um, a diverse slate or you want to diversify your workforce, you have to be able to back it up and, and prove that you, you have the, the tools, the, t- the, the resources, and the environment and culture internally in your organization to support. And what I mean by that is so frequently we talk about, you know, bringing our whole selves to work. I should not, you know, I identify as a mom. I identify as a black woman. I am single. I should not have to leave any of that at the door as I'm walking into the office to work for the day. And organizations need to be able to, to prove that they can support that. So I should be able to be a black single mom at my job, just like I'm a black single mom when I'm at home. In terms of my privilege and my responsibility, I think that's one of my big, you know, um, I don't want to say it's like a calling, but it's it's a big part of who I am that I, you know, I have the opportunity to work with a lot of HR professionals and 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 and, and, and businesses in general, um, and and I talk a lot about how they can help the trans community, and um, I think you know first and foremost, you kind of really have to look at the numbers. Um, and I think that that's where a lot of people immediately don't even realize statistically, like how, what we're talking about here, the, 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 the old, you know, and I, I say old, like, you know, it's the old number. I think from 2003, the Williams Institute out of UCLA put together a study. Um, it was the most formal study at the time, and it was a very limited and a very flawed study. But um, ultimately, kind of gave us a number that that generally that people accepted is like okay, as a baseline, one percent of the population is transgender, right? So one out of every one hundred, and that number, even though it, it seems small, is actually still quite big. Like if you have one out of every one hundred, that's a pretty big piece of the population. Um, especially when you start to multiply it by, you know, the ecosystem of people around that, right? So, um, and, 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 and we'll talk more about that in a second, but realistically, uh, another report, uh, realistically, we're talking about three to 4% of the population. That's a report that came out just about a year and a half ago as part of the National Trans Center for Equality. Um, they did one of the largest, uh, most comprehensive studies to date. Um, that original study was only talking to adults and it was only talking, uh, only uh, surveying tr- out adults. So out, tra- like, so if you'd given me that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I would have said no, because I didn't even know what I was at the time. That's a whole nother podcast. Um, but 
colleges and universities are reporting about seven to eight percent of their incoming freshman class are reporting somewhere on the gender non-binary spectrum, which doesn't necessarily mean they're transitioning like male to female, but they're, they're observing this behavior of, of uh, not exactly identifying as a boy or as a girl or, you know, and, 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 you know, there's all this like sort of space in between. And that is a alarmingly huge number, right? So if we're talking about, you know, let's just call it 5% of your incoming workforce is somewhere on that spectrum, you know, you really need to shift, you know, your everything, right? Your hiring models, your recruiting questions, your, you know, everything on the front end, all that sort of tactical stuff. But we really need to start thinking strategically, what does this mean for our business? What does this mean for, you know, for banks? The question that, that they're asking is, what does this mean for the future of wealth, right? And if you start to think about that in the context of the long game of your business, you know, this is a really significant um, change in your business, especially healthcare. There's all kinds of businesses that are based on like this very binary concept of male and female, um, including product lines and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, if we're, if there's some change there, it can, there can be a lot of upside. There can also be, um, you know, a fair amount of risk in the near term. Um, but I think for the companies that have figured this out and are, are thinking beyond kind of just, Hey, I mean, the, the average, this is shifting, thankfully, but you know, the number of people that are like, and eh, you know, we're not that interested because we don't have any trans employees. That kind of conversation is fading pretty quick because people are realizing, shit, you know, if we have 100 employees, statistically, we probably have three to four that are repressed. And if you have, let's just say you have three to four that are out, let's just say hypothetically they are, then you have to think about the ecosystem around them, their children, their spouses, the, your vendors, your suppliers, the customers, like you potentially have thousands of trans identities surrounding your business, you know, very quickly before you even realize it. And so your messaging, you know, we kind of briefly touched earlier, I think like language matters. And so if you're looking to attract and retain the very best talent, you know, even if the individual you're recruiting isn't trans, chances are they went to college with trans kids. And they want to be in an environment that's just as accepting of, of their identity as all their friends. So it requires a pretty big shift. Um, and I think the, the, the major call to action is to get educated. This is not no longer a passive, like, hey, we'll wait until somebody transitions here kind of thing. You know, you need to get ahead of this. And, and I think what's most uh, amazing is when you see organizations kind of really putting that language out there to show that their current employees that this is okay. You know, we are going to accept you for whoever you are and um, seeing companies do things like that, you know, bringing in trans speakers, um, you know, celebrating trans awareness, you know, day and, and, and transgender day of visibility and remembrance, all these things, you know, mean a lot, again, to, to the mom whose daughter is trans, right? You know, and by the way, like those same employees are going to be making like long-term career decisions about health benefits for their family based on which companies are offering transition-related insurances. So, you know, this is really deep stuff. And there's a there's a whole downside, like a whole like liability kind of step side to it, but there's a ton of upside as well. You know, trans people are, you know, from a customer perspective and an employee perspective, are ready to be loyal. Like they're waiting for companies to say, like, like I mean, like Salesforce. Like try and get 
a trans employee to leave Salesforce. Like they will not because they believe that that's their safe place. It's incredible what they've done there. And so, you know, there's a whole side of retention and, and engagement and loyalty that you can tap into. But at the same time, like the, the, the employees themselves are, you know, and, and, and sorry, not just the employees themselves, but it's the sort of, again, the ecosystem around them are looking for those opportunities to, you know, like my, my parents will only go to Target now. I mean, it sounds sort of simple, but like, you know, it's like that they believe in what that company has done. And they, you know, it's not a lot of you. They, they liked Target before, but they love them even more now. Right. It's just because of that sort of ecosystem around them, around me, that, that just has that impact. I think the smartest companies are, are tapping into that. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> and, some, and some people will leave. You know? and some people will, yeah. Like, it's amazing to me. I actually work with, with some banks on this type of, 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 of conversation. And they literally, you know, um, the, you know, they'll have customers call them and say, I saw this poster you had hanging in the retail branch of, you know, uh, you know, some sort of LGBT kind of thing. And I, you know, I'm very concerned about that. I don't want to be a part of this bank that, you know, is promoting this lifestyle. And literally the chief diversity officer of these banks will, will, will write them letters back and say, here's the name of four of our competitors. Go. <laughs> this is an easy one uh, because I eat, breathe, sleep Beyonce. And so Beyonce is, <laughs> uh, um, again, I just love the fierceness um, and the way that she has, I love her music, but I also love the way that her activism has grown, right? So from when she first came out to where she is now, it's just her metamorphosis as a woman and an activist. I, I really admire that. I, I love how she's using her power for good. Um, you know, the, the whole story when it came out about her stepping away from Nike mm-hmm. to say, you, you put a bunch of white guys in front of me. And you think we're going to work together? No. Uh, and I love that she did it. And we, we make these things public. And, and, you know, in the past, it would have swept under, under the rug and no one would have said anything about it. But now, you know, we make them public and we share and, and um, people see and learn and grow. I love it. Yes. Yeah. I love the way you said that she uses her power for good because she really is a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, she is. She is. I, I mean, I don't know anyone who, I mean, love or love or hate her music that's one mm-hmm. thing and i you know we listen to her music but it's not my style which is fine i i can appreciate it um as someone who appreciates music and some of her songs obviously you got to get up and dance to because they're just <laughs> songs. but i i just love that there's very few people who are like oh beyonce no i don't like her because she's just universally a likable she has a likable persona. I haven't met her in person, so I can't say, but her persona is likable. I haven't either, so the persona, <laughs> yes. And, and, and using her, we can see her, her good deeds out in the world, right? And so I think that's, the, that also lends to a good shake, shake, shake moment with her. Right. <laughs> but it, I, I also think she's, I mean, she's breaking so many barriers. Like, like you said, Minda, her activism like, and, and her, her fierceness. And there's something about a woman who is able to be likable and fierce at the same time, because that is not, um, and I think, you know, and especially for a woman of color, right? Like that is not an easy feat to own your own fierceness and still be approachable and, and have like, everybody feels like, Oh, I could be her best friend. Yeah. 
yeah, at the same time. Point. And so yeah. that's, I mean, that's a really big deal because um, a lot of women, I think, sacrifice their own sense of fierceness for likability. Absolutely. Because right. like Wendy said, there's not, you don't hear often, oh, I don't like Beyonce. She's this, she's that. You might not like her music, but you, right. you don't hear somebody say they don't like her as the person that we perceive her to be. And I think to your point, and that's, it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and because the perception is typically, and you know, pick on Hillary Clinton, she's a tough woman. So she's a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I like Tina Fey kind of put it out there. Bitches get shit done. <laughs> so let's stop the negative connotation to that. But that's usually what happens when you are fierce and you're assertive. Um, it could have very easily turned out with the whole Nike thing where people are like, well, Beyonce is just a bitch. Yeah. But she's, she has enough of that goodwill with the community, which isn't easy, but maybe we should be extending more fierce women, more strong women, um, that grace to say, no, she's just being strong. She's not just being a bitch because you don't like how her face looks. <laughs> right. Cause if you, not to like beat a dead horse, but you think about like Serena, she gets, yep. she's fierce, right. But people have all kinds of things to say right. about her right. fierceness. Right. So she can't, hers has to be contained. Right. Yep. And there's just the, the way that we allow some women to do it and some not. Is right. Another topic. Right. <laughs> We go on. It is unusual that we get to the deepest part of this show when we start talking about musicians and bands. Right. <laughs> well, you know, we we probably and we've talked about it, Anne, but it, maybe we need to have like a, a Wonder Woman pop culture where we can talk about these things because I know yeah. um, I know Jasmine would get on and talk for hours about Beyonce. Oh too. yes. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of folks that would get on and talk about her. I we can. I, yeah. Well, when okay. You, I'm going to put it out there. Beyonce, we want you on. Um, <laughs> yes, we yes. will have a Beyonce talk fierceness podcast with uh, yes. some of your fav, some of your biggest fans. So yes. come on, yes. Beyonce, we want you on. We will rearrange. It's a wonder woman. We'll rearrange anything. And uh, yeah, I'll take <laughs> a PTO day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fly out to where she is. We'll do come whatever. On. We'll figure yes. it out.